From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 904, Green IT with guest Mike Halsey, recorded Thursday, October 12th, 2023. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts, LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. After eight long years, bringing back my friend Mike Halsey, who's been a Microsoft MVP since 2011 and is the author of more than 20 books, including many on Windows troubleshooting, IT support, and his first on climate change, The Green IT Guide. Hi, Mike. Sorry it's been eight years since you were last on the show. That's a bit too long. Well, you know. You're busy. I'm busy. And you're in France these days? I am. I live in central southern France. I've been here for a few years now. That's nice. Um, it's, there's there's nothing here. My nearest neighbor is a cow. I love it. And here I am moved up to the coast, you know, by the ocean. And same thing, no visible neighbors. I mean, I have them. They're just far enough away and... Uh, and, and sort of settled off so that you don't actually see them very often unless you want to. Go to the pub. That's where you'll see them. Uh, pub? There's no pubs around here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you're going to make it, Mike. You need a pub. Uh, well, my, my, one of my, my favorites was uh, one of your former locals was the, uh, the low heat. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a great I spot. I love that place. Yeah, it's a ton of fun. So when you say green IT, what do you mean? I mean, it's a, it's a broad term, isn't it? It's a broad term. It covers everything from um, big, little processor architecture mm-hmm. to right to repair um, to massive corporations and, and governments doing or not, or not doing. Right. Um, one of the reasons that I wrote the book was because I was getting really, really I know. I think this is the core message throughout the book: mm-hmm. is um, stop waiting for your government to decide what it wants to do about climate change. Right. The reason being that all governments are ever going to be able to do anyway is legislate things that you're going to have to do, right. either as an individual or as or as a business. So rather than wait for them to tell you the bleeding obvious, you know what you need to do. Just get on with it. Yeah. I mean, one would argue that governments are generally populist anyway, and so they are trailing indicators of our opinions in the first place. Yeah. Or at least the trailing indicators of the noisiest of us. Yeah. They're, they're never going to pull their finger out, so you might as well just get on with it. Get going. I mean, is the big part of this just the effluent that comes from compute? I, you know, we, we've been on – going back 25 years because you and I are old enough – you know, before 2000, I think we, for the most part, I was on the cycle of new machines every two years. And then around 2000, it became four years or five years, but they tended to be leased and we just kept replacing them. Like it was a, a normal part of the course. These days, in fact, this particular year was a year where I said, hey, even if you've got machines that are coming towards the end of life here, extend the warranties because every CFO is jumpy this year. Let's see if we can minimize spending and just have a little more free cash just in case. Yeah, I mean, e-waste is um, an enormous problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the data that I used uh, 
writing the book from the United Nations came from 2019. Mm -hmm. And the UN, a report from the UN Environment Programme estimated that about 50 million tonnes of e-waste was being generated every year, but only 20% of it was being recycled. Right. Now, this presents all manner of problems that a lot, most people have no idea about, one of which is if take um, India, for example, mm -hmm. produces about two million tons of, of e-waste each year. Apparently, it's the worst. It's the worst country for doing so. Interesting. But this um, this e-waste, both from India and from around the world that's exported to India, is piling up. It's seeping into the the ground and into the water. It's doing everything from killing fish to causing cancer right. and other environmental problems um some of the some of the, the the metals and the chemicals that we have in our laptops and in our smartphones mm -hmm. and in batteries and in you know all, all manner of all manner of electronics does really nasty things I mean, we've got we've got cadmium that's in rechargeable batteries contacts and switches mercury is found in lcd switches and batteries lead is uh, is common in in computer screens and tvs chromium can be found in metal housings and on, on phones and and tablets nickel is a very common component all of these are bad yeah you know they're bad um a few examples i've got here cadmium it can be carcinogenic and cause blood pressure and bone damage problems. Mercury can cause blindness and muscle atrophy. Lead can lead to nervous system and cognitive problems, kidney failure and fertility problems. And nickel um, can cause kidney disease and cancer. And these are all in our electronics. Sure. And because they're not being recycled, and because they're going to landfill, they're seeping into the ground and seeping into the water table. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be rule one is like, just don't let this stuff get to landfill. It's got to be, I, I prefer to repurpose it. Like we've got some pretty good places around here at least where, and I, you know, moving, I've just moved up to the coast. So, Hey, I shut down my racks. Like that was a big give, but none of those machines, all of those machines got repurposed. Like they went, they, they went to other people other than replacing the drives just because they were old. The rest of the chassis were fine. They were good to go, and other people valued them. Well, that that's interesting. That's a point. Um, just before I, I I get to that, mm -hmm. um, back on the e um, the the UN also said that um, one ton of e waste can can uh, can contain a hundred times as much gold as one ton of gold ore, mm -hmm. and the e waste recycling um, business. Um, could be worth $60 billion globally every yeah. year. The trick is that gold is very could. evenly distributed through the electronics. Like I, I loathe to look at the process to try and extract that. Like what kind of emissions does that create? I mean, with, you can, I, every time I, I buy a new PC or I buy a laptop, mm -hmm. I find someone that they can take the old one yeah. because this, this, there's nothing wrong with the old one. No. The only reason I upgrade is because um, either it's shiny because I can be as fickle as anybody else or because I need additional power or additional storage or functionality for, for work. Yeah, some kind of workload that we're doing. But this gets to the right to repair thing because, let's face it, smartphones have been completely irreparable now for the better part of a decade. Although the EU seems to be pushing back on this now. Yeah, um, the the EU is where most of this tends to happen mm -hmm. and and i know they you know they're very unpopular for all of these things and they forced us 
USB-C ports onto onto iPhones, and now Apple can't charge them. I don't know how unpop that might be unpopular with Apple, but I kind of think the regular consumer it, loved that. It was like your cable just got cheaper. Well, perhaps not that. Maybe the not bundling a charger with a phone anymore. That's Maybe an interesting one too. That. But I and also that um, also made sense to me because I got a box of chargers. Like we have more than we need. Yeah. Um. So. There's a lot of these um, initiatives mm-hmm. that are pushed by the EU that they're not they're not bad they're not bad things um, and right to repair I mean don't forget right to repair did not start with laptops and smartphones sure it goes back a long way further than that it goes back to John Deere tractors right, and right. McDonald's ice cream machines yeah yeah so John Deere force all force all of their uh their customers all these farmers to use john deere and john deere approved um repair teams and that's that's for anything such as flicking a switch to reset a bit of software and mcdonald's have had ongoing problems have you ever been into a, into a mcdonald's and had, tried to buy an ice cream? yeah it's a, it's, a, it's a classic meme you can't get an ice cream at mcdonald's yeah well and and yeah, it's it's because the machines are so badly built, and uh, McDonald's are locked into a contract whereby only the company that made them can service them. Right. Yeah. The, and in this kind of craziness, it it is an interesting swing back. And it, now, and again, I think the EU is talking about just having replaceable batteries in smartphones would be awesome. We used to have that. I remember. It wasn't that long ago? It seems. Well, I think this boils down to everything being thinner and lighter right. and, and is it really the case i mean i i, I haven't seen empirical research in, into mm. this is it really the case that thinner and lighter is what consumers want because yeah fine thinner and lighter is fantastic but if thinner and if the trade-off is you can have a replaceable battery and you can swap it out halfway through the day yeah then which way would people be more likely to jump i think have you looked at the framework laptop to, yes. Yeah. And so they're, I mean, they're going further than that. Just not replaceable battery, but replaceable motherboards. Like that to me is the sort of extreme example of it. But there is a trade there. It is a bit bulkier. I would argue that thinner and lighter was easy to market. And so, you know, companies like Apple made it compelling. And then it was something you would measure the other products against. In fact, I, you know, when the MacBook Air came out, I remember Intel spending a big chunk of money to get the other the aces and lenovo's and so forth of the world to make what they called ultra books you know that kind of ultra thin machine that looked like the air in exchange for no repairable parts you know no no upgradable parts like it uh, when you get that skinny everything's on the board i had an xps 13 and i loved it the the first one yeah, they. I remember the those first couple of machines. I really loved. Like they were be- they were beautiful machines, but you also get you know, let's not fetishize hardware. Like we're in the business. Like this is a bit weird, but um, yeah, I wonder if people are at a place today where I the the idea of keeping machine for longer because you can replace its battery. Or, and or replace its fans or do a little bit of upgrading to it makes it more compelling, like that you'd take a little more bulk or even a little higher price for a longer lifespan. Yeah, there's that. Um, also, um, I mean, my XPS 13, I gave it to a friend of mine when mm. I upgraded. And then when 
um, I upgraded my next laptop. He had that, and then the XPS 13, which still worked perfectly well, went to a friend of his. Right. So these things are still in use. Uh, it, you you don't just have to give these things to to friends and family members, though. Um, the pandemic was a really good example of uh, people giving old laptops to schools, right? So that low income households could um, could actually get an education at home. You've got former service personnel um, who often can struggle financially, um, who can benefit from them, um, local charities, national national organisations that, that can benefit from from this this type of, you know, keeping tech alive. Yeah, I mean, this is just a few uh, searches away from what's your local e, uh, um, reuser of computers, because there's obviously a ton of them. But again, we're sysadmins, so... When I start thinking about company machines, I think about data privacy, and right away it's like I want to destroy the drives. Actually, I mean, in general, I want to destroy all unreliable parts before I send the machine on, just so it doesn't cause people pain. I think there's it's traditionally been difficult to to know that you can securely wipe data from a drive mm-hmm. uh, because it's really time consuming. If you if let's say you, you you're doing it yourself, you download CCleaner. And you want to do a, a ten times wipe on that? Right. It can take days yeah, on a large drive. There, I don't know if there's a way um, for the manufacturers of the drives to, to to provide a mechanism whereas this can work more quickly right. and just as effectively. That's an interesting thought. A bit of firmware in the drive that says wipe itself, right? Like that yeah. that would be a cool feature, but it may or may not be necessary. I mean, this is where. That might be a trusted service, right? The repurposes of machines will wipe the drives and assess their and assess their reliability. And, you know, it's always a balancing act. If a drive's encrypted with BitLocker, yeah, then you don't need to wipe it anyway because yeah, all yeah. you've got to do is format it, and this, you know, the stuff's gone. Yeah, you're, you're good. Like they, you weren't going to get it back anyway. The encryption's pretty solid. It's tough to do anything about that. So, yeah, great point. That if you've taken care of it in the first place, then you don't you don't really need to worry that much. Mm. Um, and I do love the the roll off of machines. I mean that that was the excuse we used to get our new machines, right? So don't worry, you're going to be able to use this machine. But when you think about it from an organizational scale, especially with leasing, like you'd hope the lease the lessor is going to take those machines and repurpose them well. Yeah, because they're not your machines, right? Like, and ultimately, you know, we, that should make sense, but. Uh, I think I'd want that as part of my lease agreement. It's like, tell me these machines are going to be placed in a good place so that they they don't become waste and I'm not part of the problem. Yeah, you don't. We, you know, I've I've explained what the the e waste problem is, and we've all seen video of of these of how waste is shipped around the world yeah. and, and piled up and and young children trawling through it trying to find the the stuff with the metals that's valuable. And Mike, I'm going to interrupt for one moment to this very important message. This episode is run as is brought to you by the Azure Data Conference at the Walt Disney Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, December 5th to 7th. With keynotes by Microsoft Corporate Vice President of Azure Data, Arun Gulag, and CVP Jessica Hawk, you'll hear from the Microsoft leadership about where data is going at Microsoft, both on-premises and in Azure. Industry experts and speakers from Microsoft will help you learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately and gain insight into Microsoft's data strategies for the cloud and on-premises. 
get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest versions of Azure Data and Microsoft SQL Server. The Azure Data Conference is co-located with the Azure and AI Conference and Dev Intersection. Attend the show and you'll be at the intersection of an incredible array of learning opportunities, and your ticket gives access to all the events. The Azure Data Conference is at the Walt Disney Swan and Dolphin Resort in Orlando, Florida, December 5th to 7th. Use the code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration at azuredataconf.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's Run As Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. I'm Mike Halsey. Talking a little bit about being green in our IT space or what we can do as sysadmins to reduce the impact of our organization for the technology that we use. And you know, the other thing that's been in the news lately is the whole uh, energy consumed by large language models and the cooling systems of data centers and so forth. Like, does that fall into your radar of can we be more green in our organizations? I'm actually I'm actually slightly less concerned about that. Yeah. Because they each of the large each of the, the, the cloud services companies, they publish very transparent data about their data center yeah. energy usage on their websites. It's not very hard to find. Um some of them were a little bit further behind, um, Tencent in China. Um when I wrote the book, they didn't publish any information. They do now. Mm-hmm. Um and Microsoft, Google, Amazon, they're all very much broadly and broadly in line with each other. And we all know that Microsoft have been running all sorts of experiments over the over the last 10, 15, 20 years on how to make data centers more energy efficient. Because yeah. let's face it, it's as much in their interest as it is in ours. It's money in their pockets, effectively, right? Yeah. So you've also got the, let's say you're buying a telephony system for your company and you want to go to 3CX or, you know, another company such as that. Now, they're all going to be using cloud services from AWS or Microsoft or or, or Google anyway. Mm -hmm. They're not going to host their own. They're not going to host their own data centers anymore. So as more and more of these of these small data centers um, get virtualized, moved into the bigger cloud, I think that becomes less of an issue. Yeah, yeah. And you, you are talking about sort of specialist and optimizing all of that. So it's probably the best case scenario. Um, do you mm. worry about the efficiency of the PCs in the office at all? Like they seem to be running cooler and quieter these days anyway. Like uh, the days of the P4 with the, with their jet engine fans seems to have gone by. The two things to look out for are noise and heat. Mm-hmm. Because if, if anything is, using energy inefficiently if it's wasting energy that energy still has to be um put out somehow right it's either used by the components on the motherboard or it's used in another way and that other way will be it's either going to generate heat it's going to be that energy will be turned into heat or that energy will be turned into noise right Namely, sort of like spinning up your fans or noise in another way, sort of like, you know, rattling something, I don't know. Um, but it's noise and heat. Um, and this is typical of old household appliances from sure. sort of like the 1950s and 60s. You know, your, your refrigerator would sort of like would give out a lot of heat and be, and be very noisy when it was when it was running. Um, so if you your 
equipment you're writing equipment now everything with you whether you've got a desktop or a um or a laptop or or anything if it's if it's noisy or hot then it could be running more efficiently so maybe right. there are settings in it that you can that you can modify maybe you can sort of like dial down the power maybe you're overclocking it when you don't need to yeah good point yeah, and I appreciate that. You know, the modern machine just does vary its power consumption based on utilization. And we just sort of take that for granted today that the PC manufacturers have set up that capability so that at idle, it consumes very little power, uh, relatively speaking. Depends on the machine, of course. But I'm a big believer in blowing out fan vents and things with compressed air because uh, it keeps the machine air- airflow going well so they don't run the fans as hard and they don't get as hot. Or a vacuum cleaner, as long as it's on a low power right. setting, because obviously you know, I, I don't sort of like you know wedge it straight into the middle of a of a, of a desktop because you know you'll you'll probably damage something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it, that's always that's always a good idea. Make sure that things don't get clogged with with dust or or dog fur, as in the case of of my office here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, with with three dogs running around all the time. There's, yeah, there's plenty of. Always got a certain amount of, of yeah, dog hair about, without a doubt. Yeah, and it's it's certainly mm-hmm. part of the problem. And if we're going to keep machines for longer too, that kind of maintenance is going to become more important because they will eventually lose efficiency just from the because they're getting dirty on the inside. Uh, yeah, talk to me about carbon offsets. The, I'm, I know this is very sensitive for a lot of folks. It's, it seems like funny economics. Carbon offsetting is a marketing term. Okay, basically what it, basically what it is is a company wants to show that they are more environmentally friendly right and more environmentally responsible um so they want to say that they are carbon neutral right so what they do is they buy into a carbon offsetting scheme and a carbon offsetting scheme these are set up um throughout the world by big organizations and they will plant a certain number of trees or they will uh do a undertake a a, a specific project aimed at reducing the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Right. And what they're doing is they're saying that when they buy the carbon offsetting, those what become what are then called carbon credits are then used to offset the company's um, the company's carbon emissions. Now this this doesn't work. First reason it doesn't work is because that company is not reducing their own carbon emissions. Right. They're just buying a reduction in carbon emissions from somewhere else. The other reason it doesn't work is that that other thing would be happening anyway because we know that people would be doing it. Right. So carbon... Just arguably because of their financial contribution, it's happening more? Um, I, no, I don't think so because there's these projects are going around... All, going on all around the world yeah. all of the time and um it's much better for a company to just say be honest and say look we want to be carbon neutral by 2028 right or set a date on it and say we're going to work towards that that's more honest than saying we're buying we're trees now yeah yeah we're carbon neutral now when actually they're not no i mean there are good initiatives out in the world that uh, that need funding that do reduce carbon footprint, um, but I I get what you're saying. There is an element here that, uh, and I you know again squirm at the term uh, greenwashing, where because mm. it's good marketing to say that you're you're uh, um, 
you're, you're carbon neutral. You come up with things that really aren't carbon neutral, but they sound good. Yeah. And there's a lot of good projects as well, mm -hmm. which people, people never even get to hear about. Yeah. Um, I was very surprised in very surprised um, when I was researching out of the, the billionaires on the planet who, who, who were the, the greenest and the least green billionaires. Right. Um, who might you think are sort of like the least green and the greenest billionaires, for example, off the top of your head? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many do you know the name of except for the tech ones, right? Like there's several thousand billionaires. Uh, and well, the least one of the least green, as I as I discovered, mm -hmm. one of the least green was, um, oh, what's the name of the fellow who owns all the hedge funds in America who still lives in his parents' house? Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett, right? Because yeah. Warren Buffett has has gone on the record many times, and he has said that um, being environmentally friendly and sustainable should not ever come at the expense of making money, right? Now, you might think that at the other end of the scale, you've got someone like Bill Gates. Actually, no, because the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is mostly focused on medicine and health. Right. And less on climate. The billionaire who it does, who is seemingly doing the most for the climate and you never get to hear anything mm. is the Bond villain that you would expect to be living in his own hollowed out volcano, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> He's got a foundation dedicated to tackling climate change that nobody knows about. Interesting. And he pours billions into it. Yeah, well, it seems to be the normal thing for, for tech billionaires. At some point, they all do the Dale Carnegie thing, right? They, they become philanthropists. You've got to do something with all of that money. Yeah. But, uh, and it's, it is interesting to look at the different foundations and the way that they go about things. Because they, generally speaking, have enough money, so they don't need to market themselves. Yeah. Uh, so they're funded by a billionaire. They've got lots of money and, and Mark and, and all the noise is about raising more money. You don't really need to do that. Yeah. Jeff Bezos, who you might think, you know, wants lots of publicity and promotion, never says anything about, yeah. about any of this. And this is probably the thing that we're getting the most publicity and promotion because it's, they're doing such good work. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, what are other actions that for us as sysadmins, like choices we, I'm thinking choices we can make that are going to reduce a, the impact for our company. I mean, certainly keeping machines for longer seems to be a good move all around and then making sure they're disposed of properly. I mean, those seems to be the major areas that we're responsible for. Yeah. Using inverters, uh, for example, installing, installing electrical inverters, these are these are common in in refrigerators um, these days, and what they do is they are. You remember step down transformers yeah. that we used to have, sort of like back in the seventies and eighties, and they would they were a very inefficient way of turning one hundred and ten or two hundred and forty volts down into the the small voltage that you needed to actually run the run the device. Inverters are a much more energy efficient, very very energy efficient way yeah. of doing the same thing. And they're beginning to appear now um, in formats, in forms that can actually be installed in workplaces so that you could have, for example, a an electrical circuit just designed for powering um, laptops and phones. Yeah. But where every socket is a USB and, and it's just for power. The USB PD, the power distribution standard, which they seem to have done their very best to screw up. 
But the that idea that most electronics are under 200 watts and this plug with with a negotiation to capability should be enough for everyone like that gets rid of power supplies and also gets into this whole DC distribution. You know, uh, mm. I know folks who listen to my other shows like .NET Rocks know that that when I renovated the the old house, the one that I sold, the basement lighting went all native DC LED lighting. And uh, it's just this idea that so much of our technology, so much of the stuff in a house these days is natively DC. All the electronics are, certainly the lighting can be. You know, the only thing you actually want AC for is motors and heating coils. So, you know, it, it's, interesting, it's interesting to think about an office space getting to a place where we're distributing DC power for the computers and devices that we're using so that we're not doing, you don't have any more wall warts. Even though we've made wall warts more efficient, just actually dealing with DC straight up. And then that ties into things like solar systems where that, you know, photovoltaic solar is native DC. So you could be taking that power directly rather than converting it. That's deeper, like very much thinking in the industrial plant of an office to get that far but it's exciting yeah you talk also about keeping equipment for longer Mm -hmm. um but one of the problems with this is um support life cycles yeah now microsoft will support um a a copy of windows for typically about 10 years so you got used to they seem to be shorting that cycle up now but yeah or wanting to yeah hopefully but only only recently we've had Google announce the new Pixel 8 and Pixel 8 Pro saying, heralding, we're going to give this seven years of, of ongoing support. So like big whoop, you know, whoopee, aren't we fantastic? We make all of these products and one of them yeah. we are going to give seven years of support to. And this is going to generate all the all the good headlines, which it did, yep. because the press was stupid enough to write it in those terms. Yeah, it is. Um, gre- that seems like greenwashing know, to me. In the, a couple of years ago, do you know how many? Or typically every year, do you know how many smartphones Samsung releases worldwide every year? No idea. It's about fifty-eight, right? Which is quite a lot. Yeah, and and well, um, it's, you know, one would argue they're following market demand. The question is, what? Who's demanding so many different phones? So you've got Samsung and Apple are actually um, the two best companies I've found for providing long-term support. Right? Uh, they're really good at it, but they've got the money and the manpower to be able to throw to throw into that. Yeah. Um, smaller companies simply, you know, simply can't do it. You could buy a phone. Let's say you buy a phone that's got four years of support, comes with four years of support. Well, it comes from four years of support from the day it launched. So if you buy it, say, a year after it launched, then you're down to three years of support. Right. And then will it get an, uh, an operating system upgrade? You don't know if it's going to get an operating system upgrade. There's there's all manner of problems. And, and IT... IT managers and corporations can help by they've got leverage. They can put pressure on yeah. their on the companies that provide their equipment to support these things for for longer. I mean, only what a few days after Google came out with this much heralded seven year support announcement, Fairphone launched the Fairphone Five and said, "This we're giving this ten years of support." Right. 
So can we but do that research? Get pressed. Yeah, or not as much anyway. I I wonder if this is the where the big difference is going to be made is that we just simply demand longer life cycle devices. I'm with you on the Win 10 thing. I think it'll be supported for longer, and I've said that on other shows as well. But I also appreciate they're sending a new, you know, Win 11 is demanding the TPM2 chip, which is what Gen 8 and newer um, Intel hardware anyway. I just don't know that that's going to happen again. So it is sort of a breaking mode where a bunch of older machines are now going to have some problems, and that's going to force a lot of of uh, machines out of the market. Well, the only other thing on the horizon to me that might do that again is if we really get big on, on NPUs, on neural processors on our, on our PCs, we're suddenly like, I I can't use this PC because it doesn't have an NPU in it. Yeah. That's exactly what I was about to say. Um, Windows 12, if we get windows 12 at the end of next year, as everybody is anticipating, we will Mm -hmm. then, because PC manufacturers want to sell PCs and the new operating system helps them sell PCs. And also corporations don't want to upgrade to Windows 11. So, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why it's likely to happen. Then I don't think with that, an MPU is going to be a requirement um, because they're new. Yeah. I don't even think Windows 13, if they're brave enough to call it that, Probably not. will MPUs will be a requirement. But Windows 14, <laughs> which we're looking at coming in, what? Just 11 years now? Something like that, yeah. That will. I remember when they told us Win 10 was the last version of Windows. So <laughs> it doesn't seem like that long ago. But yeah. I, they, they actually told me the real story behind that. Yeah. Um, the short, short version, it comes down to focus groups and lawyers, both of which Microsoft absolutely love. Yeah. Um, they went to, um, they wanted to just to call it Windows. Mm-hmm. But of course, they've been sued by Rupert Murdoch over the name SkyDrive. Um, and they've been sued by a German cash and carry company over the name Metro. Yeah. Um, and they realized that they couldn't change the name of Windows as they had with their design language and with, you know, what became OneDrive. Um, so they decided to call it um, Windows 10. Um, but the, the plan was originally, I don't think that they really had intended for Windows 11 at this time, the plan was that when Windows 8 went out of support, it would then be the only supported version of Windows. Right. And while it would legally be, still be called Windows 10, Microsoft would just start referring to it as Windows. So that that was the original plan. And also, they, they called it Windows 10, not Windows 9, because they took it to focus groups, and focus groups said that doesn't sound like a big enough upgrade to us. Well, and also the conflicts with not all the 9, 98, 95, the 9Xs, like, Internally, they skipped the nine version number and went to ten too because it was going to cause problems. Like I, I get all of that. Yeah, I actually, I actually wrote all that in a book when uh, Windows Ten was first released, and nobody believed me because all the uh, all the all the conspiracy theories were much juicier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the sad realities of these things are pretty funny, but you know they made they made a good choice there. But and I I get it, and. In, in some respects, people are used to new version numbers. That sounds better. So, you know, it seems like it's going to continue for now. But, uh, Mike, it's I'm grateful for all of these thoughts because certainly it's on folks' minds. And we are we can make some buying decisions. We can include this in our, our process. It does seem like the trend is good. We don't need a lot more performance out of our hardware these days. They've been adequate for a while, both 
not just PCs, but our phones as well. So it speaks to, we don't need the latest and greatest because you don't get much more from that. What we're looking for more is longer life, more maintainable, parts replaceable, and maybe a better life cycle chain that, that when we're done with this, it is more recyclable. It can be repurposed, you know, those kinds of things. It doesn't, it just take paying attention to that should be, should make a difference to most places. Hmm. Absolutely. And also more awareness of how you can repurpose yeah. computers and phones as well. You're just a couple of search expressions away from finding some alternatives for sure. Uh, Mike Halsey, thanks so much for coming back on the show. Sorry it took so long. Check to you next time. You bet. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.